hope you're having a good morning. Please take out your Bibles and go back to John 20. We just finished there this morning. Let's go back there again to John chapter 20. That's going to be lesson 13 in your workbook. And uh, if you don't have a workbook or a lesson for today, just raise your hand. And one of our deacons, Brother Chad, is standing there. So if you need one, just raise your hand and he'll get it to you, okay? Today, we're going to conclude, as I said in the lesson this morning, we're going to conclude our study uh, about the last week of Christ. Particularly, we are concluding the study of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is an event that took place on Sunday, the Sunday after the crucifixion. It would be the first day of the, of the next week, the first day of the week. We are going to finish that lesson. That's lesson 12. We're going to finish that up. Then we're going to do a, a review, see how far we get in that. Before we jump into that, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to thank uh, all of you for just being a great class. Uh, you were just fantastic. Sorry the teacher wasn't much better, but uh, I appreciate the, the, uh, just how great you have been and your great attitudes and your questions and your comments and uh, many of you seem to come very prepared, and you're just great students uh, of the Bible, and it's just my honor and my pleasure uh, to be able to stand before you and to, and to teach the Bible. Uh, I appreciate you so much for giving me the opportunity, and I appreciate you just putting up with me and my mistakes and just being such a great, great class. I really, really thank you. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we are going to jump and to finishing up lesson 12. Let's pray together. Almighty and heavenly Father. Father, we are very grateful for the Bible, your word, the fact that we can open it up and read it and study it anytime we want and learn more about you and your love and your grace and become more like Jesus. We're so thankful for the record that we've been given of his death and his burial and his resurrection and what that should mean to us as your people. Father, we pray that you'll bless this time of study. Bless our young people who are studying in the back. Bless all the Bible class teachers. We pray for those who may be watching the video, going to be watching the video later, and maybe they're unable to get out because of COVID or some other illness, we pray, Father, that you will bless those people, be with them, hold their hands, and encourage them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, since it's been about a week since uh, we concluded Lesson 12, let's just kind of go back and, and, and touch up on that a little bit. Let's go back and look at these appearances of Jesus after the resurrection again, because I know that can be a little bit confusing. So let's, let's just kind of go through that real quick, Okay. Uh, this is where we're at. We've covered from Saturday uh, before the crucifixion to the Sunday after the crucifixion. We've gone through all of this you see here, and we're going to kind of touch up on a lot of this towards the, the mid part of our study today. Okay, it begins here, Sunday morning. The women get there. It's the entourage of women. Mary... Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James the Less, Salome. Uh, there are just several women who show up to the tomb. They show up early on Sunday morning. When they get there, they see the tomb 
has uh, the stone covering the tomb has been moved. There's no soldiers in front of it. Remember, there were soldiers there Friday. No soldiers. The stone has been removed, and they were worried about that. They were like, who's going to move the stone? Well, they didn't have to worry about that when they got there because the stone had been moved. An angel. An angel had moved the stone. And so when you harmonize this, and, and John is the one that gives us this additional information. Mary Magdalene is singled out by the Apostle John. He doesn't focus on the other women. That doesn't mean they were not there. That doesn't mean there's some contradiction. That just means that for John's narrative, he's not going to focus on them. He wants to focus on Mary Magdalene. That's the main thing he wants to focus on. And he tells us that Mary Magdalene runs off. She runs off to fetch Peter and John. She does not go into the tomb. She does not proceed with the other women. We can be certain of that because when she goes to Peter and John, she mentions nothing about an angel. She says somebody has taken his body. She thinks the body has been stolen. Had she went into the tomb with the other women, what would she have learned? She would have learned what? He's been risen. The angel said that. He said, and I totally butchered this last time, so I'm going to get it right this time. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I think I had it backwards last time, so forgive me for that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's been raised. So the other women go into the tomb. They talk to the angel. In fact, there's not just one angel in there. or two. There's two angels. But Matthew, in his account, focuses on the one that speaks. Mark does the same thing. Luke gives you some additional information that there were two in there, and John doesn't say anything about them at all. So you got to put them all together to figure out what's going on here. The women enter into the tomb. They talk to the angel. The angel says the Lord has been raised. Jesus appears at some point, maybe before Mary Magdalene, maybe after. But at some point here, he appears to these women. After they leave the tomb, they go report to the apostles, and they don't immediately, immediately just go right to the apostles when you study it very carefully because they have a, a feeling the apostles are not going to believe them. But Jesus appears to them. He confirms the words of the angel. And Peter and John, on the other hand, they're coming from the other direction, and they, they're with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene goes to get them. Peter and John... They're making their way back to the tomb of Jesus. This is the famous story where John outruns Peter. They get to the tomb. They go in. They don't see the body there. And John says he starts to believe. They start to believe. And so the wheels are starting to turn a little bit here, starting to turn a little bit. But when Peter and John get there, the tomb is empty. They leave. Mary Magdalene stays. And Jesus appears to her. He talks to her. She thinks at first... She's speaking to the gardener. She asked the gardener, where have they taken my Lord? Well, again, that's evidence that she wasn't with them when he went in, the women, because had she gone in with them, she would have been talking like that. She would have known about, about what the angel said. She thinks the body has been stolen. And then she comes to realize that she's talking with Jesus. Jesus says, you're speaking to the Messiah. It's me. I've been raised. Don't touch me. Don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. But you go report this to Peter and the other apostles. 
Now, the women, Mary and the women, the other women, go tell, talk to the apostles, and the Bible makes it very clear that they don't believe them. They do not believe the testimony of these women. And then, at some point, Jesus appears to Peter. Luke gives us a verse there in Luke 24, 34. Paul mentions this also in 1 Corinthians 15. When you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Keep your finger at John 20. We're going to come back there. But in 1 Corinthians 15, remember Paul in verses 3 down to verse 8 gives a list of people Jesus appeared to after being raised. And after saying that he, he, arrived, he was raised, I'm sorry, on the third day, it says he appeared to Cephas, then what? Then to the twelve. That's in perfect harmony with Luke's account. Because remember, on the road to Emmaus, those two disciples, when they realized they were talking with Jesus the whole time and they had eaten with Jesus, they said he has really appeared to Cephas, to Peter. At some point, prior to what happened at the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus appeared to Peter and it had already started getting circulated. People were known about it. So there's not a lot of details on that. Don't know the details on that. We just know what happened. There was at some point when Jesus appeared just to Peter before he appeared to the other apostles. Then he appeared after Peter to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that is really what Luke wants to focus on in his resurrection account. Remember, all the gospel writers are writing to different audiences and they have different goals, different agendas they're trying to accomplish. Mary wants to focus not Mary, but John, I'm sorry, wants to focus more on Mary. He wants to focus on Mary Magdalene. Luke clearly, when you look at Luke 24, is devoting the majority of his time to talking about what happened on the road to Emmaus. That's his goal. He wants to give the details on that. He talks about all this other stuff in just a few little verses. He, he crams a bunch of information in just a few verses. He wants to get to Emmaus. That's where he wants to get. And so that's Luke 24, 13, all the way through 35. The, the bulk of his resurrection account is that. And then when you hit John 20, where we were, uh, where I asked you to go earlier, we see in verses 19 through 20 that during the time when the apostles were hiding, they're afraid because of the Jews. Jesus is gone, but they know the Jews still hate them. They're hiding, and Jesus appears before the apostles. Now, I made a mistake or I misspoke when I said something to you. Jesus didn't appear to all the apostles this time, did he? It wasn't all the apostles. There was an apostle missing. Who was the apostle missing? Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was not present in this first appearance of Jesus to the, to the group of the apostles. Look at John 20, 24. After telling us about how Jesus appeared to the apostles on this occasion, in verse 24 it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them. Notice, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. Thomas is MIA on, on the first appearance. He's not with the other apostles when the Lord appeared the first time. In fact, not only was he not with the apostles, but he wouldn't believe their testimony. He would not believe them when they said that Jesus had been raised. Now, they kind of 
knew what it felt like to be the women. They, he wouldn't believe them. He wouldn't believe until he what? Until he had evidence. I'm not going to just take your word for it. I want to see him myself. I want to see him. I want to touch him. This Thomas was somebody who wanted evidence. And so eight days later, Jesus is going to appear again. And this time, when you go down from verse 26 of John 20 down to verse 29, Thomas is there. Thomas is there this time when the Lord appears and he has his, his faith confirmed or the testimony of the other apostles confirmed. He not only sees Jesus raised, but Jesus says, touch me. So Jesus appears in his body and in the, in the, where the nails had been driven and the spear had pierced him. And he says, you touch this. And Thomas touched it and he examined it. And after doing that, he said in verse 28, he said, my Lord and my God. He acknowledged Jesus as deity. He acknowledged that Jesus was everything that he had claimed to be because the resurrection. He saw the risen Savior. Now, in addition to Thomas, there are other appearances of Jesus. There are other appearances of Jesus throughout the Gospels. When you go to John chapter 21, there's the account of Jesus appearing to seven, I believe it's seven disciples near the Sea of Galilee. They're going out fishing one morning. They don't catch anything, and Jesus is on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. He tells them to throw the net on the other side. And when they did that, they caught a whole bunch of fish. So many, they couldn't even get them in the, they could barely get them in the boat. And then they realized it was Jesus and they rushed to him and he cooked breakfast for them. So that was in front of seven disciples, the fishermen. Jesus appeared to them in John 21. Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. He says there was an occasion when Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. That's, that's just nuts. That's like four times, three or four times the number of people we're going to have in the building this morning. Jesus appeared to that many people at one time. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says there was an occasion when Jesus made a personal appearance to James. This is his brother. That's another powerful, powerful piece of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Because you remember, if you remember, when Jesus was in his ministry, James did not believe in Jesus. He mocked Jesus. All of his brothers mocked him. They called him crazy. They did not believe in Jesus. And yet, when you read the book of James, James begins that book by calling himself a bondservant of Jesus. What changed? How did he go from calling Jesus crazy to now saying, I'm a bondservant? What happened? The resurrection. It, had, it was the resurrection. The resurrection is what converted James. And that ultimately is what should convert all of us. It's the, res, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So James totally changes after the appearance of Jesus to him. And then you have the apostles before giving the Great Commission. We're going to talk about that before in just a moment and then the the final appearance 
when Jesus was already in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, Paul was able to see him. And that's another just powerful piece of evidence that Jesus had to be raised because Paul was a fierce persecutor of the church. He hated Christianity. He tried to stomp out the church. He was rising in Judaism, and yet he totally changes later to being someone who spreads the gospel throughout the world, and he even gives his life spreading the gospel. What happened to him? Resurrection. This man had to have seen Jesus raised from the dead. And so we have all these different appearances of Jesus. Now, let's talk a little bit about this Great Commission. The Great Commission. Go in your Bible to Acts 1 real quick because we're going to spend a little time in Acts. Um, the Great Commission is, in fact, the last thing that Jesus said or gave to his apostles before he went to heaven. Because he's in heaven right now. He's in heaven at the right hand of God. Then the last thing Jesus said, the thing that was on his heart before he left this earth, was telling his people to go and tell other people about him and the salvation found in him. That's found in Acts 1 and verse 8. The idea of them being witnesses in Jerusalem. The gospel starts in Jerusalem. Then it goes throughout all of Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. That's the outline for the book of Acts right there. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of the nations. Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus says that his work is to continue even though he's not on the earth anymore. His work is to continue ultimately through the apostles in the first century, through the church, and now through us today. You see, this work of the Great Commission, the work of evangelism, spreading the gospel, is a work that is to continue till the Lord comes back. It is a work that is to continue to the end of the world because Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 20, I will be with you always even when? even to the end of the world. This is a work that will continue till he comes back. And so you have the Great Commission given. You have the Great Commission given before Jesus went to heaven, after his resurrection. And then there's something else here we need to point out. We need to say something about the ascension. After Jesus gives the Great Commission, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Jesus, and this takes place at the Mount of Olives, Okay. Jesus ascends to heaven. He ascends to heaven. And as he's going up, he's going up from the Mount of Olives. The apostles are watching him go up and he's received out of their sight by a cloud. So this is literal. Would you agree this is literal here? This is literally Jesus going up and he's taken out of their sight in a cloud. Now, at some point, obviously, He's transferred. He, you can't, flesh and blood can't enter into the kingdom of God. But the body goes up, and the apostles see it happening. But after that happens, there's a promise made in Acts 1 and verse 11. The Bible says that as Jesus was going up in the sky, there were two men in white clothing. Who are these two guys? There's angels. There's angels right here. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into the sky? 
This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Will you notice carefully the language there? Do you see the language? You know, there's some brethren who say that Jesus, or if we want to call them brethren, they will say Jesus is not going to make a personal return. They say he came the final time through the destruction of Jerusalem. Do you get that impression when you read that verse? You get that impression? The angel said he's going to come in the same way that he left. Well, how did he leave? He left personally. <laughs> he didn't leave figuratively. He left personally. He personally left, and the angel says he's going to come in the same way. He's going to come back personally. That's the, that's the second coming. Jesus will come back personally, just like he left personally. And when he comes back personally, he's going to receive his people unto himself. That's what the promise is. That promise is made in, in Acts 1 and verse 11, a personal return of Jesus. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are also when the Lord comes back. Now, one more thing I want to bring up real quick, and then we're going to jump into this review. Matthew 28. Go, go to Matthew 28 real quick. I just need to make this final point here, okay? Matthew 28, 11 through 15, okay? Matthew, so we're kind of going back in time here. Remember, when we were in, we were in Acts, we were Acts 1, we, we studied Jesus, goes into heaven, he's received out of their sight. I need to also point out that after Jesus, after Jesus was, was, was raised, he appeared for about 40 days. Wouldn't you agree that's a long time? That's a long time. He, over a month, Jesus popping up all over the place. He wanted to make himself very visible after the resurrection. You have 40 You have 40. Days of appearances, and during that time, in Acts 1 and verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus was teaching his apostles about the kingdom of God. Any misunderstandings they may have had about the kingdom of God, any misunderstanding they may have had thinking it was going to be a physical kingdom, I think in 40 days Jesus can clear that up, and he cleared it up. Okay? Now, before that happens, after Jesus was raised, or after Jesus died, and after he was raised, what happened to those guards? What did the guards go back and do after the events with the tomb? You remember what the Bible says they did? Yeah, they went and reported to the Jewish leaders. They told them what happened. And what did the Jewish leaders tell them to do? Here's some money, lie about it. Lie about it. <laughs> Notice how they're still, they, just, they refuse to be converted. You see that? So they paid the guards a large sum of money to lie. What was the lie? Say the disciples came and stole the body, and if the higher-ups, you know, if the Roman authorities want to punish you for this or hold you accountable for this, we'll step in, we'll take up for you, it'll all be good. But let's just cover this up. We're going to cover this up. We're not going to say he was raised. We're going to say the disciples came, stole the body. Here's some money. Keep your mouth shut. We'll take care of you. So that's what, that's what they wanted to do. And, and the guards went with that. They lied. 
They lied, said the disciples came and stole the body, and Matthew says that this lie became widespread. He says it was believed by the Jews to this day. That means up until the time he was writing it, but the truth is that lie is still believed today. The Jewish people or those who call themselves Jews still believe that someone came and stole the body. They do not believe in Jesus. They're still waiting on the Messiah to come. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They believe the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to establish a physical kingdom. He's going to kick the Muslims off of the dome where the dome of the Rocky is, and he's going to build his temple again. They're waiting for that. And, and so this lie has continued on, and it's going to continue on until the Lord comes back. All right. So let's stop right there. Any comments? Any comments? Uh, about the end of the resurrection lesson. Please feel free to, anyone at all. Uh, maybe something you want to ask, something you want, something you want cleared up. Uh, please feel free to. Yes, sir, Lance, go ahead. No, that's at the end of the 40 days. After Jesus is raised, he doesn't go to heaven at all until the Mount of Olives, until Acts 1. So he's on the earth and he's making these appearances all over the place, but Acts 1 indicates that when he goes to heaven, then that's, that's the first time he's gone since being raised. And now he's ascended to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of God. So there is no heaven for Jesus until his work with the apostles is complete first. And that needs about 40 days because they were really behind and messed up on some things. So he needed some time to really convince them of his resurrection because they got to testify of that and clear up some misunderstandings they had. I think I I don't I don't think I just think that's there's an exception made for Thomas because Thomas says I won't believe until then and Thomas has to believe this because the apostles one of the key responsibilities they're going to have is to testify of the resurrection of Jesus Mary's not an apostle she don't need the evidence like that Thomas does because of what the office he held as an apostle so I think he makes an exception for Thomas because of the work Thomas is going to do as an apostle. But that's that, that's a good question, though. Good question. I was, I was wondering if it was had something possibly to do with Mary Martha not being seen at some point. I don't see that. Okay. Yeah. The, the language of the passage is not touch or hug; it is hold on to. Do not cling try to me. It's clinging. Yeah, yeah. Do not try to keep me here. I gotta go. Right. No. Good. Anyone else? Chad, is that was that it? Okay. All right. Yes, Elliot, and then uh, Brother Greg after that. Yes. I also look at Revelation 1 7. Uh, Revelation 1 7, where John says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, all the kindreds of the earth were well because of him. So that terminology with the clouds, too, is kind of what I think about in terms of how he's going to return. 
Now, that's a good point, Elliot. And, and Elliot, if you don't mind, because I appreciate your comments, sir, I want to say a couple, let me say a couple things about that, because that's a good observation. It is. That language can be tricky, coming with the clouds. That's Old Testament apocalyptic language. My view on Revelation 1 and verse 7 may be different than other people's view. I take Revelation 1 and verse 7 to be judgment language from the prophets, talking about the judgment is going to come on, my view, Rome. And I think Acts 1 and verse 11 is literal language, but most of the time, most of the time when the language he comes with the clouds is found in the Bible, it's not referring to a literal coming. It's referring to God coming in judgment. Great example of this is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah used this language over and over again. It talked about how God was going to come in the clouds against Egypt. But did God literally come in the clouds against Egypt? He came in judgment against Egypt. So John, and we're actually going to study Revelation some today. Mitch and I are going to do some teaching on it next year. John uses a lot of Old Testament apocalyptic language that his first century audience would have been very familiar with because of their familiarity with the prophets. And, and so I think Acts 1 and verse 11 is not that Old Testament language. I don't think the angels are quoting from the Old Testament. I think when they use that language, likewise, they're trying to make it clear it's going to be just the same way. This ain't Old Testament apocalyptic language here. But often, in fact, that may be why you see in Re Revelation 1 and verse 7, that language there, may, you may see like in uh, italicized or uh, like a quotation from the Old Testament in some of your translations. That's a reference to even the translators were, could see that John is, is making a reference to Old Testament language, of judgment language. This is, this is going to be judgment. He's coming not literally, but in judgment. In fact, Jesus even used this language in Matthew 24 when talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So, so I'm glad you brought that up, Elliot, because there are times when at least most of the time, coming in the clouds is not literal, it's figurative. But in Acts 1 and verse 11, interestingly enough, <laughs> interestingly enough, that is a literal one. Because, and we know that because that's how Jesus left. He left the same way. And he's going to come back the same way. So I could go on and on about that, so I better stop. You know, I would recommend a book to y'all. If y'all want a good book on, on apocalyptic literature, a preacher friend of mine named Mark Roberts, Mark Roberts preaches in, in Dallas, Texas. He wrote a great little book, about 90 pages, easy read, about understanding apocalyptic literature and how understanding the language of Revelation and how the first century Christians would have been very familiar with apocalyptic, the apocalyptic genre because it was a very common genre during that time. It was a common genre in the time of the prophets. It was a very common genre in the time between the Testaments. In fact, many of the Apocrypha books, the books that are between the Testaments, those books written between the Testaments, they're at the back of the Catechism. The Catholics include them as part of their Bible. Many of the Apocrypha books are apocalyptic. Uh, they are just dramatic, figurative language to describe God's judgment coming on a nation. And so I would recommend that book to you, Understanding Apocalyptic Literature by Mark Roberts. It's a really easy read, and I think it can help you if you want to dig deep in the, in the revelation. Yes, sir, Brother Mitch. Uh, since you have the mic, what Elliot said doesn't do violence to the Spirit. Absolutely not. Uh, Absolutely not. 1 No, absolutely not, Mitch. In fact, I'll read that, sir. You, you're, you're totally right with that. 
And, and, and let me just, before I read that, let me just say to go with what Mitch is saying. Revelation is one of those books where when I teach it, and I think Mitch would agree with this, also, at least I hope he would. He'll, he'll chew me out if he doesn't agree with it. He'll chew me out later. But, but, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those books that's hard to be dogmatic on. Hard to be dogmatic on Revelation because of its, the genre of the book. It's apocalyptic. Can't be dogmatic on apocalyptic literature, especially when you're 2,000 years removed from it. But what Eliot said is exactly still in line with the scripture. And if someone takes that view, that Revelation 1 to verse 7 is a literal coming, it doesn't, if you, if you take that view, it certainly goes first as long as four. Where Paul says, look at what it says, verse 16. The Lord, what? Himself. That's personal will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. I believe what Paul is saying there goes perfectly with Acts 1 and 11. Uh, now, I could go on and on about how some brethren tried to distort those verses, and they really work hard to do that. But when you just read the text, what does it seem to you? Seem like Jesus is coming back? Seem like he personally coming back? Seems like he's going to come down out of heaven and he's going to receive his people? Is that what that says? That's what it seems to me when you just read it and let the word of God speak for itself, right? You got to work hard to mess that up. And a lot of brethren do that, unfortunately. Yes, sir, Don. Right. And it's, it is a big point. And as you sift through these things similar, clouds is one of those things. If it can happen naturally, take it literally. Right. If it cannot happen naturally, take it figuratively. Right. And it's follow that through and, and it'll keep you out of some some mischief. Right. Absolutely. Okay, well, so much for the review. No, I'm joking. Um, let me just say a few more things here real quick about Revelation. Um, one of the reasons folks struggle with Revelation is they're not familiar with the Old Testament. you got to be really familiar with the prophets. You know, one of the things that happens often when I study with a new convert, they want to go right to Revelation. They want that steak, and they're not even ready to get off the milk yet. That's that, that you, you know, you got to take baby steps. And Revelation is one of those books where I, I would recommend that you really read the prophets, get familiar with the prophets, because if you do that, a lot of stuff in the book will make sense. You know, in our culture, we like to go to, when we read things, we like to make a big deal out of everything. This got to mean something, and this has to mean something, and this has to mean something. I like to look at Revelation like watching a play. You ever been to a play before? When you go watch a play, do you focus on the flower pot that's in the corner over there? You focus on, you know, the coat rack that's in the left side of the stage. What do you focus on when you watch a play? Focus on the story. You focus on the characters. You don't focus on the window dressing. And that's how you got to read Revelation. You got to read it in sections and then just take a step back and say, okay, what's the point of this? 
And there, and, and, and that's how that's that's what the genre is about. It's not about making something of everything. If something means something, the, the, it'll tell you. You don't have to guess about it. But if it doesn't tell you, don't make the mistake of guessing or saying, well, since it means this in the Bible over here, it has to mean that here. No, it doesn't. Just read it, get the big picture, see what the message is, and you'll enjoy reading it a lot better. You won't, <laughs> you won't go crazy uh, like some people do when they read the book. Okay, so last things we want to say about this class. Real quick. Saturday, what's the main event for Saturday from the last week of Christ? What's the, last, what's the main event? What's the main thing you remember about Saturday? The Saturday before the crucifixion, I'm sorry. I had to get that right. What do you say? Oh, yes, Mary anointing. Mary anointing Jesus. Who got mad at that, at that Judas did? Whose house are they at? Simon the leper. Saturday's important because it's showing you what's, getting, what's going on with Judas, what's, what's jump-starting what he's going to do, okay? There are people gather outside the house on Saturday, the house of Simon. Who do they want to see? Jesus and Lazarus, very good. Sunday, what's the big thing about Sunday? What do you remember about Sunday? Triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He gets two reactions from the crowd. What's one reaction? They praise him. Hosanna, the king is here. But he doesn't just get praised. What's the other reaction? The Pharisees are upset. They don't like the people cheering Jesus. Jesus also, on Monday, he uh, weeps over Jerusalem. Why does he weep over Jerusalem? And what's coming for Jerusalem? Destruction is coming. Tuesday, it's a busy day for Jesus. He spends much of the day teaching. He's teaching, and um, uh, during that occasion, also I want to make sure I get this right in my notes because I forgot. See what happens? The teacher didn't forgot. Uh, oh, nope, I missed something else. I'm sorry. I got this all wrong. Sunday, it was Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He weeps over the city. I want to make sure I get this right. Monday, okay, Monday. I need to review more than y'all do, and I taught the class. Uh, Monday was the big deal was he cursed something. When he went to the fig tree, he was expecting to find something on it, even though it wasn't the season for figs. What was he expecting to find? The, the breba, the forerunner. Since the breba wasn't there, that meant this was going to be a fruitless tree when the season of figs did come. The fruitless fig tree represented who? Yes, it represents Jerusalem, the people of Israel. They have become a fruitless nation. A great example that is given of how fruitless they had become takes place when Jesus goes to the temple. When he goes to the temple, what does he see? They've corrupted the house of God. They've turned it into a house of business, and they're cheating people. It's just a corrupt situation. And so Monday shows you just how fruitless Israel had become and why judgment is going to come on her. Tuesday, the day of teaching, they're busy. The Herodians try to trap him with the taxes. The Sadducees try to trap him with the resurrection. The scribe tries to trap him with the question about what's the greatest commandment. Jesus answers all the questions. You got the seven woes of Matthew 23 and then the numerous parables. You also have the signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem. All that's Tuesday. Wednesday, we don't know what Jesus did, right? But what do we know did take place on Wednesday? What happened on Wednesday? 
they're plotting. And who sells Jesus out on Wednesday? 30 pieces of silver. Real quick, Thursday, the big event of Thursday is what? Two events, really. They eat the Passover, and then after they eat the Passover, Jesus goes where? Gethsemane. He prays three times, and then he's betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. That night, he appears before two high priests. Who are the two high priests? Annas and Caiaphas. They both condemn him for blasphemy, allegedly, which was a false charge. Friday, he appears before Pilate and Herod. What do Pilate and Herod conclude about him? He's innocent. But the Jews are persistent. Jesus is crucified. Many signs and wonders take place while he's on the cross. He's buried in the tomb of, of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Saturday is the Sabbath. He's in Hades on Saturday. Sunday he's raised. He appears all over the place. So let me ask you this as we conclude. Does it make a little sense to you? Make sense to you? You think you could sit down with somebody one day and they're not a Christian and kind of go through that with them, you know, just like that and with like, uh, uh, without thinking about it much? It's good to get very familiar with that. Get very familiar with it, rehearse it, study it, go through with your kids again. The main thing I want you to take away is this. A lot went on that last week. A lot went on. And much of the gospel is focused on that last week. And the thing I want you to really do is thank God for that last week. Thank God that Jesus went through everything he went through that last week because if he didn't go through all that, guess what? No salvation. It would be pointless to be here today. So I hope, I hope this class helped you. You've been wonderful. You've been great. I love you all. God bless you. We'll look forward to our next studies on the miracles of Jesus starting Wednesday, okay? Thank you.